Envision yourself in the heart of Venice. As you walk on the bridges over the canals, you ruminate over the city's water system, namely its central pump and complex piping network. Imagine that for mysterious reasons, the pressure within the pipe network surges. The pressure controls have failed, and as time wears on, the weakest pipes begin to burst and damage the museums, cafes, and palaces. In the setting of secondary hypertension, the central pump is the heart and the pipes are your blood vessels. When blood pressure runs continuously high in the blood vessels with a broken feedback system, the valuable organs that they feed, notably the kidneys, heart, and brain, endure damage. Today, our patient has resistant hypertension, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internetwork, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, When the Pressure Stays High, Go Looking with a Closer Eye, and is all about resistant hypertension. All right, on to our minute physiology. Most patients with elevated blood pressure are likely to have primary or essential hypertension. You are likely, however, to encounter a subset of patients whose blood pressure remains high despite your initial prescribed medications. Such a phenomenon, termed resistant hypertension, is defined as uncontrolled blood pressure despite the use of three or more antihypertensive agents at maximum or maximally tolerated doses, classically including a long-acting calcium channel blocker, an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, and thiazide-like diuretic. A further subset of patients may be diagnosed with refractory hypertension, defined as uncontrolled blood pressure despite the use of five or more antihypertensives, including a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist and long-acting thiazide-like diuretic, such as chlorthalidone. Hypertension due to a specific etiology is called secondary hypertension. Clues suggestive of a secondary cause include an acute rise in blood pressure from a previously stable state, onset less than 30 years of age with no other risk factors for hypertension, or new onset over 55 years and accelerated or malignant hypertension with signs of end-organ involvement such as kidney, brain, and retinal damage, recurrent hypokalemia, and nocturnal hypertension. A secondary cause for hypertension affects about 5-10% to of all patients with hypertension and may be potentially curable, depending on the etiology. Let's now dive into the approach. You are asked to see a 30-year-old male with no past medical history, presenting with headaches and persistent hypertension, despite being on four antihypertensives. The first critical step is to assess for pseudoresistance, that is, factors resulting in elevated blood pressure readings independent of prescribed pharmacotherapy. These may include improper blood pressure measurement, white coat effect, undertreatment, medication non-adherence, and clinical inertia, which refers to failure to establish proper targets and escalate treatment to reach said targets. When in office, use of automated oscillometric devices averaging multiple breedings is preferred, and to mitigate the white coat effect, ambulatory blood pressure monitoring is recommended. Reviewing your patient's diet to assess sodium intake and notably medications and doses prescribed is also important to assess for room to enhance or up-titrate their medications. You should also review how and when they're taking their medication, as well as their adherence to taking their medication. Once you are confident that pseudoresistance has been ruled out, you can shift your attention towards a system-based approach for secondary hypertension, categorized into renal, endocrine, vascular, pulmonary, and drug-induced causes. 
Renal causes can be divided into renal parenchymal disease, such as diabetic nephropathy or chronic glomerulonephritis, and renovascular disease. Renovascular hypertension is caused by narrowing or stenosis of the renal artery. This is most commonly caused by atherosclerosis or fibromuscular dysplasia. Renovascular disease should be suspected if the onset of hypertension is in a young patient, particularly female for fibromuscular dysplasia, if the patient has severe hypertension after the age of 55 for concerns about atherosclerotic disease, or unexplained worsening of creatinine by more than 50% within one week of ACE inhibitor or ARB therapy, recurrent flash pulmonary edema, presence of an abdominal brewery, and asymmetric kidneys should also increase your suspicion for renovascular disease. The main endocrinopathies that cause secondary hypertension include primary hyperaldosteronism, Cushing syndrome, pheochromocytoma, acromegaly, thyroid disorders, and hyperparathyroidism. History, physical exam, and blood work can help guide your differential. Primary aldosteronism, or CON syndrome, is an increasingly recognized cause of secondary hypertension and results from excess aldosterone production independent of the renin-angiotensin system. The increased aldosterone promotes sodium reabsorption, water retention, and potassium secretion, resulting in unexplained or easily provoked hypokalemia in about one-half of patients affected with CON syndrome. Excess growth hormone in acromegaly may also drive hyperaldosteronism. Cushing syndrome, which is characterized by excess cortisol, may have physical manifestations including round facies, central obesity, and hyperglycemia. You might want to consider a pheochromocytoma, which generates excess catecholamines, when a patient presents with a history of labile blood pressure and a triad of pounding headaches, palpitations, and sweating, which is observed in 50% of the patients. You also want to remember hyperthyroidism. Next, vascular causes. The main etiologies for vascular causes of secondary hypertension include coarctation of the aorta and aortitis, an arm-to-leg systolic blood pressure difference greater than 20 millimeters of mercury, brachiofemoral pulse delay, and precordial murmur are suggestive of coarctation. Aortitis can likewise be a manifestation of large vessel vasculitis with underlying inflammation of the aortic wall and should be considered, especially in the presence of constitutional symptoms and or absent peripheral pulses. Pulmonary causes include obstructive sleep apnea that leads to elevated sympathetic activity, most commonly seen in obese patients with a history of snoring and daytime sleepiness. Drug-induced hypertension can be divided into five categories, over-the-counter drugs such as NSAIDs and decongestants, prescribed drugs such as oral contraceptives, steroids, and chemotherapy, recreational drugs such as alcohol or stimulants, herbal supplements including licorice, and substance withdrawal from alcohol or opiates, for example. The most common cause of secondary hypertension across all adult ages are renal parenchymal disease, renal vascular hypertension, hyperaldosteronism, and obstructive sleep apnea. All right, on to our workup. The workup for resistant hypertension should be individualized to a patient's demographics and clinical presentation. A basic panel for all patients include a CBC, electrolyte panel, creatinine, calcium, TSH, HbA1c, lipid profile, electrocardiogram, and urinalysis. For renal parenchymal disease, an elevated serum creatinine, proteinuria, and hematuria may also be detected, and a renal ultrasound for kidney morphology should be ordered. 
To assess for renal artery stenosis, order a renal ultrasound with Dopplers initially. However, renal ultrasounds with Dopplers may be operator and body habitus dependent. Therefore, a subsequent CT or MR angiography may be required. The workup for the multiple endocrine causes generally includes using the validated screening test for the specific etiologies. For Kahn syndrome or hyperaldosteronism, check a plasma aldosterone and direct renin concentration. From there, complete a plasma aldosterone to direct renin ratio. Remember to correct any hypokalemia prior to drawing these levels. Further, ensure that your patient is not on a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, direct renin inhibitor, or a beta blocker, as these medications may alter your result. An elevated ratio is suggestive of hyperaldosteronism. To screen for Cushing's, have your patient complete a 1 mg dexamethasone suppression test. Screening for pheochromocytoma includes 24-hour urine metanephrines and catecholamines. Remember that hyperaldosteronism, Cushing's disease, and pheochromocytomas may be secondary to an adrenal adenoma, and therefore, imaging to identify a tumor will be necessary if any of these screening tests are positive. With regards to vascular causes, a transthoracic echocardiogram appropriately screens for aortic coarctation. If you suspect vasculitis, the appropriate rheumatologic workup plus a CT or MR angiography can help confirm your diagnosis. Lastly, if a patient scores positive on their sleep apnea screen, arrange for a sleep study. As reviewed in this episode, there are many, many causes of secondary hypertension. Therefore, the best treatment of resistant hypertension is one that addresses the specific underlying mechanism at play. Initial management of resistant hypertension begins with non-pharmacologic therapy, namely lifestyle changes by way of exercise, adherence to the DASH diet, and weight reduction. Stop all agents that might be contributing to worsening hypertension. For resistant hypertension that does not have a secondary etiology, international guidelines have advised the use of an ACE inhibitor or ARB, a calcium channel blocker, and a thiazide-like diuretic, all at maximally tolerated doses. Recently, the addition of spironolactone as the fourth agent has been recommended as per the 2015 Pathway 2 trial. Patients with renal artery stenosis should be started on a low-dose ACE inhibitor or ARB. Those with bilateral renal vascular stenosis can sometimes use ACE inhibitors or ARBs, but require very careful introduction and monitoring, as these medications can cause renal dysfunction and electrolyte disturbances. Renal revascularization with percutaneous renal angioplasty is indicated in patients with fibromuscular dysplasia, where there is a high response rate, but is more controversial in atherosclerotic disease, where clinical trials have not shown consistent benefit. For primary hyperaldosteronism, therapeutic strategies differ between unilateral and bilateral lesions. In patients with unilateral lesions confirmed on selective adrenal vein sampling, laparoscopic adrenalectomy is a first-choice procedure. In preoperative patients, those with bilateral lesions and non-surgical candidates, you can prescribe a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist such as spironolactone. To manage Cushing's syndrome secondary to an adrenal adenoma, a laparoscopic adrenalectomy should be pursued, while Cushing's disease due to a pituitary gland tumor should be resected with transphenoidal hypophysectomy. Pheochromocytoma should also be resected surgically with preoperative administration of an alpha-1 blocker such as doxazosin to prevent an intraoperative crisis. In managing vascular etiologies, aortic coarctations may be treated with transcatheter stenting, 
while aortitis is usually treated with immunosuppression and treatment of the underlying rheumatologic condition. Lastly, if the patient is diagnosed with sleep apnea, a properly fitted CPAP can also decrease blood pressure. All right, time for a medicine minute. Of patients with resistant hypertension, 70% are estimated to have obstructive sleep apnea. Repeated nightly hypopneas and apneas are believed to stimulate sympathetic overactivity and endothelial dysfunction. The adrenal glands thereby produce aldosterone and net fluid retention occurs. The 2013 Hipparco randomized control trial from Spain demonstrated that patients with OSA randomized to three months of CPAP therapy had a decrease in 24-hour mean and diastolic blood pressure, as well as an improvement in nocturnal blood pressure. This was further supported by 2014 meta-analysis. This emphasizes the importance of screening for and treating obstructive sleep apnea in patients with resistant hypertension. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled, When the Pressure Stays High, Go Looking with a Closer Eye, All About Resistant Hypertension. This episode was written by Dr. Claudia Frankfurter, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Paula Harvey, cardiologist, and Dr. Tom McMillan, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karinopoulos. Theme song by Lakshma Vizantha Mohan. As always, we have an associated infographic at www.theinternetwork.com. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.